Uh, so we've made it. Uh, we're still in uh, John chapter 19. <clears throat> we're going to finish this chapter tonight. It's, it's a lot of verses. It's 17 through 42. <clears throat> uh, this is the account of uh, Jesus being crucified and everything that went on uh, around that. And once again, as always, there's just some fascinating things within the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> Uh, every time we get into something, you go, wow, that's, uh, that's fascinating. So, and I've, uh, there on the notes, I do have it once again in the Scriptures version. Uh, you know what? Before we get too deep into this, I do this for you every week so that you've got something in a section here where you can make notes. Um, I hope that you're not doing what we typically do which is you depend on this and you use this as your Bible and we go through this, which that's fine, but then you go home and you put it on the shelf or whatever, you forget, and this isn't the typical tool you use all the time. In other words, Bible. So if you're making notes on here and you think it's important, if your Bible is digital, I would suggest you bring that with you and also put notes in there or if you use a hardcover Bible... Uh, bring that. In other words, don't just treat this as, you know, our typical Bible study like we've done forever, and you go through the notes, and then you go home and shove it, or you leave it on the table, or whatever, and you forget uh, what that's there for. So there's been times when I've done this, and then I quit doing it because we use this as a crutch, and then don't use our Bibles. I don't want you doing that. That's my point. So... um, so I've got this on here so you can write down some notes, but use it in the tool that you typically use. And this is the one that I typically use. It's connected with my computer. I talk about that all the time. But uh, <clears throat> just don't use this as your crutch and as your Bible, and then you go home and you forget that you have it. You forget the notes that you made, and it's laying on the, I don't know, the end table somewhere, and then it eventually ends up in the trash can when you can't figure out where it goes. Does that make sense? Uh, okay. So I uh, want to look at these first two verses in John chapter 19, verse, starting with verse 17. And it says, And bearing his stake, or cross, he went out to the so-called place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, uh, where they impaled him or crucified him, uh, and two others with him, one on this side, one on that side, and Yeshua in the middle. So that's um, the, the typical story that we know that they, they went out, they, he carried the cross himself uh, as best he could. We know that another man helped him. We're not going to get into some of those details tonight. Uh, but he went out to the place called Golgotha, uh, which, in Hebrew, which is the word in Hebrew, and it's also called the place of the skull. Now, um, what I want to bring out is... This word Golgotha, in your notes there, jot down Numbers 1, verse 2. Numbers 1 and verse 2. Let me read it to you. This is where uh, God is telling Moses that he's supposed to take a census. So in verse 2 it says, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names every male Head by head. And that word there for head in Hebrew is what? Golgotha or Gogolet. What that means is uh, the, the crown of the head. Okay? So isn't this interesting how we, we come up with all this stuff? Um, I think it's right. In other words, there's a place in Jerusalem that they call, this is the real Golgotha. And then there's other place where you have the church. Have you ever heard of this? The church of the Holy Sepulcher? Okay. They have supposedly uh, every place where Jesus was going and it's in that one church. And when you go in there, it's so ornate, you really can't tell even what you're looking at unless you read the sign. Um, and, and, I, and I get all of that. <clears throat> uh, but there's another place called uh, Golgotha uh, because it looks like a skull. You ever looked in the clouds and said, hey, I can see a face? 
And you can do that with pretty much anything. Um, you can take just paint and throw it on the ground and kind of find a face somewhere or whatever. And, uh, and that mountain there that, or that hillside, it does, and now it's built up. Uh, I think it was when Mark Twain went there and he wrote something about it and somebody took a picture way, way back uh, and you can see it and it, you can kind of make it out. It kind of looks like a skull, you know, a face, you know, eyes and nose and maybe something like a mouth or whatever. But guess what's in front of it now? A bus stop. And it's, and it's the major hub of the buses. And so they're coming and going all the time. And it's built up about 20 or 40 feet from where it was back then, back in the you know, late 1800s or whatever. And, uh, and so you can kind of see it and go, yeah. And so everybody goes, so that's what it was talking about. Well, possibly, but what you need to remember is that for the, for the Jewish people, every top of the hill was basically called a Golgotha or a Gogolet. It's the, head of, it's the head of the hill. It's the top of the hill. It's the forehead of the hill. But there would have been some where they did their uh, crucifying in the area. Uh, and so <clears throat> what I'm saying is that I think that probably is the right one, but I don't think it's the right one because it looks like the face of a skull with eyes and a nose and a mouth. Uh, could it have looked like that 2,000 years ago? Possibly, but it's also possible that it didn't. <laughs> um, so th I, that's, I just want you to see how that sometimes we'll read something and then we get these weird fancy ideas and then we start interjecting our thoughts and our understanding into the passages when that's ne technically not what it's really saying. And I think that's why he said, which in Hebrew it's called Golgotha, they called it the place of a skull. They called it Golgotha, but it's a place where they were also doing crucifixions. But you have to remember this too. They didn't do them in just one place. They had so many people that were crucified, it went on for miles. So they didn't do it just in one particular place. Uh, but in this place, it says that they did it and they had one thief on the right side, one thief on the left side. And you know that story where one was railing against Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, get, you know, get us all down. And the other one you know, chastises him. And he says, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, yeah, I'll tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. So <clears throat> that's from the rest of the, the gospel stories. So we want to get into this next section here in verse 19. In verse 19 through 22, it says, And Pilate wrote a title, too, when, he, when they were crucified. And he put it on the stake, or the cross, and it was written, Yeshua of Nazareth, the sovereign, or the king of the Yehudim, the, the Jews. Many of the Yehudim therefore read this title, for the place where Yeshua was impaled or crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Roman. I don't know why this translation said in Roman. Uh, it would have been Latin. So you can put a note by that if you want. Um, I have no idea why they chose that word. It's ridiculous. It would have been written in Hebrew or Aramaic. Those two languages are really, really similar. Uh, <clears throat> Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Verse 21, so the chief priests of the Yehudim, that's the Jews, said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, don't write the sovereign of the Yehudim, but he said, I am sovereign of the Yehudim. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Now then, here's what's absolutely fascinating about that. They want him to change the wording of what he wrote, Right? So you got to ask, why would they be so adamant about what he wrote? They, they didn't have a problem with it saying that he was king of the Jews. They didn't have a problem. Matter of fact, they really wanted it to say, I am the king of the Jews. Put on there that he said he was king of the Jews. Uh, <clears throat> but 
Pilate said, no, what I've written of what I've written. Now, I want to say this too. I don't think Pilate was smart enough and smart enough in Hebrew to understand what it was that he did. Okay? But I do believe God used Pilate to do something significant. Here's what's fascinating. Because he's, what was it that he wrote? Yeshua of Nazareth, Yeshua this Nazarene, and he's the king of the Jews. Now here's what's fascinating. <clears throat> now in this one book that I'm reading, great commentary on the, on the book of John, he speculates that what Pilate actually wrote was that he would have inserted the word and, uh, which is using the letter Vav. It just looks like a kind of a slanted, a weird-shaped L. Think of it that way, if you will, a lowercase L. Um, <clears throat> and if he had written that uh, this way, Jesus of Nazareth and King of the Jews, and if he'd have written it uh, kind of down, Yeshua, the Nazarene, and king of the Jews, of the Yehudim. The acrostic for that would have said, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. That's why they were mad and why they wanted him to change the wording. We, we know that they were mad, and we know that they wanted him to change the wording. And if it's worded that way, when you have the Vav in there, and if it's Yeshua, the Nazarene, it would be Yeshua, and it would have been Ha-Nazaret, meaning the Ha in front of it is like us saying the. So they would say Ha-Nazaret, or the Nazarene. So it would have been yod Hey vav Hey. Remember we said last week that the Jews said, we don't want that son of the father, we want this son of the father. Bar-Abbas means Bar-Abba, son of the father. It goes on and on and on. The level of God weaving all this together to paint all these pictures is pretty phenomenal, wouldn't you say? Doesn't that even give you goosebumps? That God was saying, watch this, that's my son. I didn't have this in my notes, but it just crossed my mind. I have to tell you this. I don't know if you're aware of it, because when did Jesus die? When, when did this happen? Everybody here should know this. It happened at Passover, right? On Passover, the evening of Passover, when the Passover lambs are being killed. Do you know how they handled that in the city when you've got a few million people there? And you're bringing in your animals to be slain so that you can have a barbecue that night? How would you keep up with whose was whose? How would you do that? How would you keep up with whose lamb belonged to the Hudson family? You would tag it and put your name around your lamb. Just like if you take an animal to slaughter now, they tag them and that stays with the animal so that supposedly you're getting the animal that you took. Nothing new under the sun, right? So everybody was walking around with lambs with a, a, a name tag around it that was their name. Yeshua is being sacrificed as the Lamb of God with the name of God before, on top of him. Yeah, wow. Really cool, huh? So um, Pilate goes, no, you know what? What I've written is what I've written. It's staying exactly the way it was written. I don't think that Pilate was smart enough in the Hebrew language to dictate that that would happen that way in the same way that the parents of Barabbas didn't understand what was going to happen when evidently the Spirit put upon them, you're going to name this son Barabbas because he's going to play a role at the death of the Savior. And his name needs to be Barabbas because it's important. To you, it doesn't mean anything, but it's good. They had no clue. 
Uh, I don't think Pilate had a clue. He was just doing what he did. So then you go on to verse 23, and it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Yeshua, they took his outer garments. Uh, it was made four parts, each to a soldier apart. And the inner garment, but the inner garment was without a seam. It was woven from, top, uh, from the top uh, in one piece. Uh, my opinion is that that was his prayer shawl. Uh, that's just my opinion. So they said to each other, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it's going to be in order that the, and it says, John put this, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. The soldiers therefore indeed did this. And by the stake or by the cross of Yeshua stood his mother <clears throat> and his mother's sister, Miriam, the wife of Cleopha or Clophus, um, and Miriam of Magla. Then Yeshua, seeing his mother and the taught one or the disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, see your son. And to the taught one, he said, see your mother. And from that hour, the taught one took her, meaning Mary, Jesus' mother, into his home to take care of him. Remember, they didn't have social security, so it was up to the sons to take care of their family. Now, here's what's interesting. So it says, um, in verse 24, it said that they did this in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled, right? That's nothing new. We're all pretty familiar with that happening all through the life of Jesus. <clears throat> so you need to make a note. Psalm 22:18. This is absolutely fascinating. This is found in Psalm 22:18. In Psalm 22:18 it says they divided my garments among them and for my raiment they cast lots. Okay? This whole psalm, Psalm 22, is prophetic of the Messiah. Now, you, want to, you need to notice, or you can jot this down, you need to notice of what Jesus said while he was on the cross. What was it he said on the cross? Everybody's really familiar with it when he's there hanging in all of his agony. What was it he said? Not Father, forgive them. But what did he say early on? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, imagine that. Because they all said, oh, he's calling out Elijah. Oh, you know, all this other, other stuff. No. Um, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's noted in some of the other gospel accounts. We can see this, watch this, in what? Psalm 22, verse 1. Psalm 22, verse 1, in the Scriptures version says, My L, my L, L is short for Elohim. Why have you forsaken me, far from saving me, far from the words of my groaning? This is exactly like someone today holding up a sign that says John 3, 16. If you were to do that, and you'll see it in football, you know, somebody behind, somebody's going to get an end zone ticket so they can stand out there in the form of evangelism, I get it, and that's fine. And they hold up a, a poster, and all it says is what? It actually doesn't even say John 3.16 a lot of times. A lot of times it's just J-N 3.16. Now, almost anyone in America, you don't even have to be a Christian, anyone in America, they see John 3.16, they, they, number one, they know that's Christian, Number two, they think that person's trying to get people saved, right? It's, it's a shorthand form of saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that for whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, right? So we get that. So what was Jesus saying when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did he really think that God had really forsaken him? What was he saying? You're looking at Psalm 22, I'm the, he's constantly trying to draw us into this relationship with him and trying to get us to understand I am the full fulfillment of Scripture. Everything has been pointing to me, and I'm here to bring you back to me. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? While hanging on the cross, he's basically up there screaming, 
Psalm 22. Matter of fact, this is a common practice among the rabbis. Instead of giving you, sometimes they would give you a portion, but a lot of the times when they want you to, to connect the whole passage, they'll do something. They'll quote the first part or the first verse, either the whole verse or the first part of it because, watch this, they knew their Bible so well, they knew what the rest of it said. Just like us seeing John 3, 16, and we can all sit here and quote the passage. They would hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if they had seen that this was a rabbi talking to them, they would have understood what he was saying. He wasn't saying, where are you? As much as he was saying, I'm here and I am this fulfillment and I'm experiencing the wrath of God for your sake. Isn't that amazing? So let's go to uh, verse 28. Verse 28, let's see where I've got it here on your notes so I can stay on track. And we'll go down through verse 35. Verse 28, after this, Yeshua, knowing that all had been accomplished in order that the scripture might be accomplished. Over and over and over again, you're going to see this. I thirst. Uh, a bowl of sour wine stood there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and held it to his mouth. So when Yeshua had taken the sour wine, he said, it is accomplished or it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, since it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the stake, on the stake or the cross on the Sabbath. Watch this. For that Sabbath was a high one or a high. You need to circle that, highlight that, put an asterisk by it. Put I don't care what. Put a flag by it. You need to see that and understand that and hold on. This is important. For that Sabbath was a high one. Some versions say it was a high Sabbath. The Yehudim, the Jews, the leaders, asked Pilate to have their legs broken and that they be taken away or taken down. You might want to underline that. Therefore the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him or impaled with him. But when they came to Yeshua and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and instantly blood and water came out. And he who has seen has witnessed, and his witness is true, and he knows that he's speaking the truth in order that you might believe. Very important. So let's back up for a second. Oops. So... It says, uh, in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled or accomplished in verse 28, he said, I thirst. Well, once again in the Psalms, you can jot this down, Psalm 69, 21. <clears throat> Psalm 69, 21 says, and they gave me gall for food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. It's just, it's another Psalm. So in other words, it wasn't that Jesus was thirsty. While he's dying on the cross... He's not oblivious to the word, watch this, that he's the author of. He wrote it, meaning he's the author of, he's God, and God, through the Spirit, inspired these men to pen these words. And he's fulfilling all of it. So while he's in agony, about to die, his mind is still on, I'm going to fulfill every single detail down to the infinite part. And he's up there basically even saying this, you need to give me something to drink, I'm thirsty, for the sheer purpose that the scripture would be fulfilled. You think God's concerned about his word? That's a question. Yeah, he is. Uh, so... If Jesus and God is this concerned about his word and his promises, what do you think he's going to do with people that manipulate it? Oops. 
That's why he said you don't add to it or take away from it. And as a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, it says you better not add to or take away from this book or these curses are going to be added unto you. Bad, bad. Don't mess with it. Uh, so then let's jump down to verse 31. <clears throat> and we talked about this a little bit last week. You remember? Because we talked about the preparation day. So here it says, therefore, since it was the preparation day that the body shouldn't remain on the stake for the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high Sabbath. Well, <clears throat> I want you to notice that John tells us that it was a high Sabbath. He's, he's making a point of saying this is something in particular, this is something special. How many days a week do you think the Romans were crucifying people? Pretty much every day. Do you think anybody else had ever been crucified? Do you think any other Jews had ever been crucified on a Friday? Of course they had. Modern scholars go, well, and we talked about this last week, but they go, well, you see, it's preparation day, and the preparation day is Friday, getting prepared for the Sabbath. Because here it's talking about a Sabbath. But John, in particular, out of all of the gospel accounts, says, now this Sabbath was a high Sabbath, a special Sabbath. So it should prick our interest and go, well, what is he talking about? And here's something else that's fascinating. You remember, I keep trying to, because I want to put tools in your hands so you're not dependent upon me. You understand that? I want you to understand how to read your Bible, because you can you don't need a preacher to tell you what it says. If you're saved, you realize you already have the Holy Spirit, right? Right? Who's the author of the book? God, Holy Spirit. So there's three things you should do to understand your Bible. Number one is pray. Number two, read your Bible. Number three, repeat. And it's really just that simple. Um, but if you see something in your Bible, what, repeated? You should pay attention, right? Did you know that in this one chapter, this concept of it's the preparation day is repeated three times? Three is typically a number related to what? The Trinity of God, the wholeness of God, the completeness of God, um, so it's repeated three times. Well, he's trying to do all this to get us to see that this is a particular Sabbath. I believe, I didn't write it down, but I believe it's Exodus 12, verse 16, where he says this, uh, and it's the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the last day, the first day and the last day is a Sabbath, and that falls on Nisan 15. Everyone here should know that because I talk about it a lot. Uh, but isn't it amazing that John can try to tell us three times that this is a special preparation day? Yet most modern scholars will say, well, but because it's talking about Friday. Amazing that we read something into the passage that that's just simply not what it says. So my question is this. How, do you think they went to Pilate every single Friday that somebody was crucified and said, hey, it's the preparation day, tomorrow's the Sabbath, you need to get them down, break their legs and get them down? No. They didn't do that every, every Friday, saying you need to hurry up and kill them so that they won't be up there on the Sabbath. They didn't want this to happen because that was a special Sabbath, a high Sabbath, the, Sabbath, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that is very, very special to them because it's connected with Passover and their deliverance from Egypt and being born into a nation, God's inheritance. This is their 4th of July, folks. This literally is their 4th of July when they're saying, this is when we became a nation and God brought us out of Egypt, out of bondage, and we married God at the bottom of Mount Sinai. 
This was huge. That's why it's, it's just this week-long celebration and this first day on the Feast of Unleavened Bread is special because God said that day, Nisan 15, doesn't matter which day of the week, that's a Sabbath. Isn't that amazing? He tells us three times and says it's the day of preparation. It's a high Sabbath. It's a special Sabbath. It's technically one of the annual Sabbaths, not a Saturday necessarily, but an annual Sabbath. And yet most of us go, well, yeah, that was Friday. He died on Friday, buried on Saturday, rose on Sunday. Isn't that three days and three nights? That's what Jesus said. And we do it with a smile on our face and then go on. Absolutely amazing. So I just I want you to have that and understand that this is a verse you need to understand when you're talking to people and they just don't understand what's going on. You say, well, it was it was Nissan 15. It was the start of unleavened bread and it wasn't Friday. But you tell some people that and they just really freak out and go, What do you mean Jesus didn't die on Friday? Well, we celebrate Good Friday. I'm sorry, it wasn't Good Friday. Um, that was made up by religious leaders to Quite honestly, keep people in line. It's just the truth. Um, so we go on down, and I want you to see something here. He, in verse 35, because it talks about, you know, okay, so they didn't break Jesus' legs. Why? So that, once again, the scriptures would be fulfilled. I'm not going to chase that right now. But then it says, and they pierced his side, and what happened? Water and blood came out. How many of us here have heard, well, you know what that says? I've even taught this. You know what that means? Well, our Savior meant you really, he died of a broken heart because he loves us so much. And that's what that means when they, you know, pierced his side and the water and the blood came out because he was just, he died of a broken heart. That'll get at your heart, that'll tug on some heartstrings, won't it? <laughs> Is that possible? I'm Sure. Sure, it's possible. Um, but I, I, want you to, I want you to know something here. I got this right out of uh, Walvard's uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary. I told you I, I use these. Listen to this. At the time of the writing of this gospel, the Gospel of John, Gnosticism and Doceticism were currently problems. I'll get into that in a second. I'm just going to explain it this way. It says it this. These ideologies denied the reality of the incarnation uh, and of his death. The blood and the water are a firm answer against those heresies. So here's what people were believing and telling people. That, um, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just kind of fainted. Then there were others that were saying, well, uh, Jesus, yeah, he died on the cross, but he really wasn't God because God can't die. So he couldn't really be God. Uh, and, you know, um, so this is just isn't, it's not, it's not true. And so they were out there teaching this. Before John dies, before the apostle dies, these heresies were already going around in the church. Why? to combat the truth. Who would be behind that? Lucifer, Satan. Um, he figured out real quick he messed up. <laughs> and so then he finds himself backtracking. So what does John say? John is basically saying, look, I'm the one that saw this. I was at, I was, he's the one, the beloved apostle, who is at the foot of the cross with Mary, who took care of Mary as best he could throughout the rest of his days. Okay? He's the one saying, but he's humble. He doesn't say, it's me. You can figure it out by reading all this. Anyways, he's the one at the bottom of the cross, and he sees this. He goes, I saw this. He goes, the one seeing it is testifying, and the one who's testifying this is saying that this really is true. This really did happen. In other words, I really saw his flesh pierced, and blood and water came out. He died. That's why he says that he speak. I'm testifying to what I saw so that you can believe that this really is the truth. He really was God in the flesh, and he really did die. 
He didn't swoon or faint on the cross and then in the grave, he got resuscitated. That's the other stuff they were telling people. They couldn't refute the fact that he wasn't there. That would have been easy. If he was still there, they could go in there and say, look, there's the body. He wasn't resurrected. Your whole thing is a scam. They couldn't do that. So what they, they had to come up with something. Well, he's not there, so evidently he is alive. But this God thing, nah, I ain't buying that. And so that's what they were teaching. And so John says, look, I saw all this stuff happen, and I'm telling you it's the truth, and I'm writing this down, and I'm telling you so that you can believe that he really is God, he really did die, and he really did raise from the dead. That's what that's in there about. So uh, you pick up in verse 36, it says, for this took place in order that for the scripture to be fulfilled. There it is again. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And it says this in verse 37. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they've pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea or Yosef of Ramathea uh, being one of the taught ones of Yeshua, but secretly, because he feared the Jews, he feared the Yehudim, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Yeshua, and Pilate gave permission. Therefore, he came and he took the body of Yeshua, and Nicodemon, or Nicodemus, uh, who at first came to Yeshua by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Yeshua, bound it in, and wrapped uh, in linen wrappings with the spices, as was the habit of the Yehudim for burial, and at the place where he was impaled or crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a fresh tomb in which no one uh, had yet been laid. There then, because of the preparation day of the Yehudim, they laid Yeshua because the tomb was near. So there it is. Again, this is the third time it's put in here in this chapter, preparation day, preparation day, preparation day. Preparation day for what? It's a preparation day for... Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he's dying on Passover. Because watch this, Jesus said that this wicked and perverse generation will not be given a sign except the sign of Jonah. In the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And we Christians for 2,000 years almost have been telling people, yeah, he died on Friday, rose on Sunday, three days and three nights. Now, almost everybody in here is shaking your head like, because that's ridiculous, right? And silly. It's just silliness, right? And you can now see that and understand it. it does, it's not offensive, right? It's like, okay, no, what's the big deal? Okay, he died on technically Wednesday. Thursday would have been a, the first day of unleavened bread. So that, they, that was a Sabbath. And then Friday would have been the day the women went and bought the spices because we know from the gospel accounts they went and bought spices and then they prepared them. And then they rested on the weekly Sabbath, which would have been Saturday, uh, as was their custom. And then they went early Sunday morning, you know, and he was already resurrected. Three days and three nights. What's the big deal? Why do I stress all of that? Why am I even going over it again? <clears throat> I want you to understand that your Bible is simple to understand. It really is. It's not. Comp you do not need a doctorate degree to be able to read your Bible and understand it. The same Holy Spirit that inspired John to write this is the same Holy Spirit that dwells within you if you've called on Yeshua for your salvation. If you pray and say, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what this says, then all you need to do then is expect that he will and just read it. Just read it. And just read it for what it says. And stop being dependent on somebody else to tell you what it says. Just read it. And, ex and expect him to show you that this is what it says and this is what it means. And what it means is God really is God. God really sent Jesus as our Savior. He really died, and he really rose again three days later, and it was witnessed by a lot of people. 
Um, and he ascended into heaven, and he's purchased our salvation. All of our trials and tribulations are answered in Jesus. He is our goal. He is our life. He is our everything. And your Bible was written so that you and I could understand it. And when people start teaching gobbledygook that you can't follow, <laughs> that should tell you something. I don't care how many letters are in front of or behind their name. Look, don't put me on a pedestal. I'll tell you all the time. Check and make sure that what I'm telling you is right. Don't you? Haven't you heard me say that before? If I'm telling you something that's not in your Bible, tell me, because my goodness, I want to know. If I'm wrong and I'm standing up here teaching the Word of God and it's wrong, I want to know. I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. Okay? All these other people that are, and they're smart. Please don't get me wrong. They are extremely intelligent, and they've been taught this stuff, and they're regurgitating what they were taught. And then all of a sudden, you see something, and you can't reread it differently. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been, maybe, well, for anybody here, cooking and multitasking and read the recipe wrong? Have I done it, Sonia? <laughs> because we're multitasking. And you read it, and you thought what you read is what you read. And that's what you put in there. And then you went, well, that don't look right. <laughs> and I'm reading it, and Sonia goes, it's one and a quarter cup, not one quarter cup, Paul. You know? <laughs> right? Because we're multitasking. And you're looking, you're reading it, and you're like, I, I did what I read, and it's not what you read. Have you ever done that even driving down the road and you see a billboard and you read it and you drove that way all the time? And after the fifth time, you looked at it and went, that's not what that says, right? And he, am I the only one that's ever done that, right? You know what's happening? You're multitasking and you're prioritizing, meaning I'm trying to stay in my lane and not die or kill anybody else. And so I have 1.3 seconds to look up and read this billboard that some guy that's making over $100,000 a year made that nobody can figure out what that is in 1.3 seconds. Because the picture's too complicated, the wording is too complicated, the colors, right? So you got to see it like 15, 20, 30 times. Sometimes you got to, you know, I'm going to slow down. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what that says, right? It's because you're multitasking and prioritizing, and so you're doing this, and you saw something, and you thought that was right, even when your brain went, I'm not too sure, right? But you're like, well, that's what I saw. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, folks, when you prioritize and your mind is focused on going somewhere else, you can read something and think it's saying something that it's not saying easy. We do it all the time. And watch this. If you're a professional theologian, pastor, or whatever, and you've been trained, and you're studying this stuff, and you've been over it 300 times, and you're studying to write a book or preach a sermon, and you run across something, your brain is what? Prioritizing and trying to go ahead, right? And quite honestly, a lot of times, reading it a little too quick and remembering everything that you've already regurgitated out of other books. Watch this. Not what you read in the Bible, but what you read in the other books. Therefore, what you think you read isn't what's there, which makes it very easy to tell somebody it says something that it doesn't say. I'm telling you that. These people aren't evil, mean, and nasty, Satan has deluded and de, um, deceived us into saying things and believing things that simply aren't in our Bible. That's what I'm trying to say. And I want you to understand that God loves you and he wrote this book so that a child can read it and understand what it says. Why? 
because he wants all the world to be saved, even though that's not technically going to happen. But so that his salvation can go to the end of the world. What we have to do is we have to stop believing more in what we've read about it than what we've actually read. So then how do we get past that? How do we get to the point to where we can start reading things and things come to mind? Broken record. Pray. Pray, read your Bible, repeat. If you don't have enough time and reading is hard, I get it. Listen to it a million times. Over and over and over again. Why? So that when you're reading it, all of a sudden that stuff then starts to come to mind. The same way professionals, when they're preparing a message, it happens to me. You've seen me chase a rabbit more than once, right? Because while I'm all these other things that I've either read or studied or listened to or seen or whatever flying through my head, even while I'm talking, you do the same thing, right? When you're talking about whatever and things are flying through your head, it happens to all of us. So instead of listening to what all they are saying about it, we need to be hearing all that he said in his book so that when we're reading it, we can go, Oh, real! Oh, there it is. Folks, I'm telling you the truth. I am not that smart. I'm not. When I graduated school, college, I did not graduate magna cum laude. I say this as a joke, but it's almost serious. You know why I graduated at? Laude laude. Laudy, laudy, he made it. <laughs> I really did because it was a struggle. I reached a point to where I was crying before Sonia, literally saying, if I don't pass this this time, I'm just done, I guess, because I, I can't get this. It's hard, hard. Um, and reading was always difficult for me. But I just kept present. I was like, I got to get this figured out. I, I'm just going to do the best I can. I would read a book. I'd have to highlight the book, then I'd have to go back through there and take my highlight and make an outline and then try to memorize the outline. And to do that week after week after week after week in school to try to pass, to try to study. And these other guys I'd see that had these photographic memories, they'd make me nuts. They'd just read it and come in there and take the test and make an A. And I'm like, how do you do that? I can't remember what I had for breakfast for crying out loud. But you know what I can do now? Because now it's cheap. Now it's free. And I get to cheat because it's free. It's not, when I first started doing this, it was expensive, real expensive. Back in the 80s, I think it was in the 80s, 90s, my mom bought me the dramatized Bible on cassette, the whole thing, and I think she paid $300 for it. And I wore them out, literally wore them out. Now I can listen to it on my phone for free, so can you. So what do we typically do? We typically drive around, watch this, we typically drive around town listening to what? The radio. Listening to either music or news. Typically, right? And if you're listening to music, especially if it's not praise and worship music or if it's just secular music, you're just making them money. Or if you're listening to the news, that's always going to put you in a good mood, right? That's always going to put you in a good mood. You're going to arrive at your destination all happy and, oh boy, I listen to Fox News all the way to work. Man, I'm in a great mood. Hallelujah. Praise God, right? No, and you're still making them money. Instead of all of that, why don't we listen to the Word of God and get the Word of God in us because the Word of God says that it will cleanse us and wash us with the water of the Word, it says in Ephesians. The washing of the water of the Word. So over and over, and, and I'm telling you, once you start doing it, you won't get bored. You'll be going to sit there going, I've listened to that five times. I didn't hear that last time. How did that get in there? And what you'll find is you're doing that. Play it while you're going to sleep. Whatever you need to do, you need to pour it into your life. And Watch this. 
Pour God into your life instead of pouring other people into your life, making them money. That makes no sense. So if you got dead window time, windshield time that you're driving around town, listen to the word of God and and listen to praise music, praising God. Get God in you and his word in you and it washes all that other stuff. Then when you start reading, you go, well, that's what it says. Well, that's amazing. And then some pundit will get up and start giving you his ideas and you can sit there and go, well, that's not what I remember. And I have to say you have to get mad or, or chastise him or even stand up and prove him wrong. Is Don't depend on what other people are saying about the book. Know the book. I'm talking to believers. We have a drought of believers that actually read the book. And we wonder why our lives are messed up. Our theology is so bad, we can't count to three. We can't figure this out, that Jesus didn't die on Friday, raise on Sunday, three days and three nights. Why? Because we're more comfortable regurgitating what we've heard instead of reading the book for what it says. And trusting, I'm telling you, you can trust the Bible. There's a problem with dealing with translations. All of us are dealing with a translation. So in the translations, you got I showed you one today from a version that I like, and they use the term Roman. What? What's wrong with you? It was Latin. Go Google it. Tell me, tell me, I, I want the definition of the Roman language. It'd be interesting to see what pops up. It was Latin for crying out loud and Greek and other languages. Anyways, so you can trust your Bible, but folks, don't depend on me or somebody else. Just read it. Just read it. Pray, read your Bible, repeat. God loves you so much. He died on the cross for you. He did rise again from the grave three days later, three days and three nights. And guess what? It was a Sunday. And Sunday, during the week of unleavened bread, is all, it's always Sunday. Thank God doesn't know what he's doing. Sunday, during that week, is always first fruits. The first day of the week, during those seven days, however that falls on the calendar, starts Nisan 14. So on the calendar, it's doing this, right? We got that. The 25th of December isn't always on Wednesday, Right? So however that falls, the Sunday of that week, this is the way God laid it out. That Sunday, the first day of the week in there, that's always the day of first fruits, which is when Jesus was resurrected. First fruits. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. God loves you so much.